So this morning I'm looking at the topic of generosity, and we have the topic of generosity in the diary already, because it's just an important subject to look at, giving, finances, and then we also realise, wow, we do need to do the roof, and so today is kind of like a foundation into the fact that we're going to do an offering. And when I looked at the way Paul encouraged the Corinthians to give in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, Paul teaches into the topic of generosity, giving and finance in the context of an offering. So he was encouraging them to give because they wanted to alleviate the poverty of certain believers. And he then taught into giving into the context of we are taking up an offering. So I thought, wow, that is actually a a biblical opportunity because it's the things that we practice that we grow in. Isn't that true? That when we hear something and then we do something in response to it, they're the moments when we grow the quickest. When we hear a word and God speaks to our hearts and then we say, right, I'm going to take a step of obedience and courage in response to that. They are some of the quickest ways that we can grow. I want to start by just being really acknowledging that some of you will have heard teaching on money that has probably left you a little bit maybe scarred or burnt or bruised. You know, maybe if you've you've heard topic you've heard this topic and you think and maybe you're a bit nervous, you think, oh no, I've heard this topic before and the last time I heard this topic I came out the other side feeling pretty miserable and condemned and guilty. You know, sometimes we've heard teaching on money that um, can feel like telling a sad, sad story. Yeah? And then we yeah. feel really, really guilty. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we've heard teaching on money that we felt like, wow, it was like my arm got twisted around my back. <laughs> and it was like I came out thinking, I better give or else. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, I don't... The, the, Paul, when he's talking to the Corinthians, he doesn't use a sob story or manipulation or guilt. And he doesn't use any kind of fear-based or rule-based motivation to give. Because Paul is after a goal of, he really wants hilarious and joyful giving. So he's after a goal of, I want the Corinthians in their giving to be so hilarious and joyful that he knows that if you um, <coughs> manipulate or command or control, the best that that can do is, yeah, people might give, but they might grudgingly give. <coughs> they might grudgingly give. Or they might give, but it might be annoyed giving. <laughs> kind of angry giving. Get this over with. <laughs> Or stingy giving, you know, what's the minimum I can get away with? And keep the rules. So what's the minimum? So I want to talk through and touch upon how Paul, in this letter to the Corinthians, how he encouraged them in the goal of hilarious and generous giving. How did he actually envision them? One of the first things he does to envision them is he says in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 8, I am not commanding you. I'm not commanding you. It's a huge thing. I'm not commanding you. I'm not telling you 
what to do. (coughs) Freedom is a powerful thing. And Paul, he doesn't want to create in people any compulsion or threat in their giving. He, He doesn't want them to give out of reluctance, kind of, ah, I'm being commanded, better do it. Like I said, he's after this hilarious and joyful giving. And so he says that kind of level of joyful giving can only happen, is only possible through free will. You can never command it. You can never use manipulation, control, or sob stories, or threat. It can never produce what the goal of the Father is, which is people freely giving because they want to. So Paul says in chapter 8, he says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that has been given to the Macedonian churches. And so if you can imagine, they're, they're, they're taking up an offering in the different churches to help the poor, and the Macedonian church has already given into the offering to relieve this poverty. And now he's encouraging the Corinthians, saying, remember what you said, we're going to take up an offering um, to meet needs. And he's, he's holding up these believers and saying, I want you to look at these believers as an example of how to be motivated in your giving. So he says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Mm. And he says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and then, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then also, by the will of God, also to us. I love this phrase here. I want you to know about the grace that God had given to the Macedonian believers. So you've got these really poor people who hilariously, joyfully give, even though they themselves don't have a huge amount, and then they beg... Paul to get in on giving can we give more, can we give more, we want to get in on this and so Paul is saying this is incredible but right at the foundation is this word grace I want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches, grace grace is a really powerful, powerful thing because grace enables and empowers us to do what it asks. So later on it says, God loves a joyful giver. That's what God loves. But grace becomes a word in our heart that empowers us to do what God loves. See, so I want you to know about this grace that was given to this church. It wasn't that they um, were commanded Their arm wasn't behind their back, but something supernatural happened amongst them that grace from God came to enable them to do what would be impossible without grace. 
So we're a supernatural people. So the reason we don't have to command you to give because and don't have to manipulate or control you to give is because grace from him and between you and him will do a work. So grace does this. This amazing, powerful thing from grace causes them to give freely out of their free will. So, like wherever we are in our learning and giving, because actually giving is a, um, a process of discipleship and growing too. Yeah, It's like a muscle that we grow in. But we can ask for grace. We can ask for grace. We can ask for God. Will you teach me and release grace to me? Because I would like to be increasingly hilarious in the way that I give. <laughs> Empower me. So we're going to look at three things about giving this morning. And the first one is this. That giving, an offering like this, and we were laughing the other day saying... Um, it's quite funny to be taking up an offering for a roof. <laughs> because isn't it the most <laughs> stereotypical thing that churches do? Yes. You know, have you seen churches? Oh, we've got a leaky roof and please, please provide. But some, some offerings are incredibly visionary, feeling excitingly what, what vision. And some are, actually it's really important because we've got a leaky roof and we want an excellent environment for the kids. And in, in this example, Paul's saying... He's encouraging them to give because some people have gone through famine and they haven't got enough food. You know, that's a really painful context to be encouraging people to give. But there's this invitation to participate. I think that's an important thing that he, he says he, he says in the encouraging them, he says in verse 13, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed. But there might be equality. In other words, Corinthians, we're in this together. Um, the Macedonians are doing really, really well. But we've got a part to play too. Let's be in it together. And so this first motivation is this wonderful invitation to be participants in something together. I think Bill Johnson calls his money his soldiers in his pocket. <laughs> and he says, I can send them out to war. You know, I can put them in the offering and say, go troops, go and repair that roof, go and get that roof fixed, go and make that environment excellent for the kids, go and make it a space that works for the community, go troops, go troops. And so Paul in this thing is saying, go, go troops, send your troops out to meet the needs of the poor in Jerusalem, go and send them out to feed, go and send them out to alleviate poverty, go and send them out. Let's be in this together. Let's be shoulder to shoulder. There's a partnership. And he says, focus on what you can and not on what you can't. So verse, he says in verse 12, he says, according to your means. According to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to, to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So in other words, he's saying... If your troops are ten, send ten troops. If your troops are more, send them more. But give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. 
and make sure in sending those troops out there's a willingness. Because when it's free and willing and joyful, it's, it's acceptable. So I think that's a part that Paul talks about, this partnership together. And I want to intersperse this with some stories, just because I think um, stories from different ones of us I'm giving are really encouraging. So Rochelle and I got married, we got married in France, and because we were getting married in France, people couldn't give us um, a fridge freezer or a microwave or a, a washing machine on our wedding, but they gave us money because they said, right, when you get back to England, then you can go and buy those things. And so we got married, and then we came back to England, and excitingly, the church that we were in was wanted to buy a building. We wanted to move out of the school that we were meeting in and go and um, purchase a building. And a building came up, and but it needed £74,000 in two weeks. And we were really like the Macedonian church in that we were in a really poor town, really very, very poor town, and there wasn't a lot of money. But this joy was in the room. We, we're participating in this together because we're going to get this building and vision gripped us and we were stirred by it. And we looked at one another and said, we want in on this. And actually Paul says that to, about the Macedonians. They gave them first of all to the Lord and then also to us. So we had given ourselves wholeheartedly to God but we were also giving ourselves wholeheartedly to leadership. Really excited about where they were taking us, really excited about this next phase of our church life. And we made a decision which, looking back, was really for crazy. We, we said, right, we want to give a thousand, which is, pre- I think it was pretty much all, all, nearly all the money that we've got given as wedding gift, I think. It was, a, it was a huge chunk, but it didn't feel like it was hugely, it, like we'd lost, because... We were participating, we were partners, we were slightly crazy, and we wanted to do it. And the church raised 74,000 in two weeks and got into that building. And it was amazing for us. You know, amazing price in that area that you could buy a whole building for 100,000, but wow. But we did it, and we were, we were in it together. And I think that's what Paul is saying there. He's saying that there's equality, that we're in this together, but there's a visionary sense of, well, we've got a thousand soldiers. That was what we had then. We sent a thousand troops. And they're still, to this day, working in that building. Because we, th- th- we invested in something that now, 20-odd years later, people are still worshipping there, meeting there, people are getting saved there. Mm. We, we have a, an investment in that place. So that's this sense of, we all get to play, we all get to participate, we all get to give what... We have decided freely. There's also this important thing about money as well, and that's why we scheduled this talk in, is that the subject of money and the subject of generosity and the subject of giving is an opportunity to have a spiritual MOT. And that's why we kind of (coughs) talk about money every now and then. Because I think the greatest goal for Jesus right now is not so much about fixing a leaky roof, But his superior goal is the freedom of our internal world and our internal hearts. That's what he's really after, more than anything. And so, if you would say the biggest goal of this is that we're free people. That's the greatest and biggest goal of all of it. And yeah, we're going to, the the roof provides a context for our giving, but the ultimate goal is that we're healthy believers. 
And it's like the subject of money pokes us and prods us like a doctor. You know, like you take your car to the MOT and they rev it and they check it and they check the brakes and they just do a good old check and make sure everything in this car is working well and it's all healthy and all good. And the subject of money is like one of the best spiritual MOTs that you can possibly have. It's, it's a, a powerful MRI scan of the heart. Yeah, It really is. And so it's, it's just good to look at this topic. And so sometimes we can hear about the subject of money and you hear about an offering and you can feel like, Jesus, why are you driving me down Generosity Avenue? <laughs> I don't like that street. I don't enjoy that street. I want to get through that street as fast and as quick as I possibly can because there are other streets I enjoy more. Why are you driving me down here? And it's good to then ask the question, what's the belief underneath the emotion? So if, we com- if you get just commanded to give, you never actually then have a spiritual MOT. It just doesn't happen. Freedom gives you the opportunity to personally dialogue with God where he talks about your spiritual health with you. Legalism and rules and fret doesn't ever deal with the heart because you just go through the motions and you do it and you never had to ask what's really going on in my heart. And so... What you don't want to do is just go through the motions. You don't want to just take all those emotions that feel, oh, reluctant, and I don't want to, and I'm quite annoyed by this giving. You don't want to then stuff that in the boot (laughs) and bury it. Nor do you want the emotions to go behind the wheel of a car (laughs) and start driving you where they want. Because my money, I do what I want with my money. We're not going down Generosity Avenue. We'll go where I want to go. And you don't want those emotions driving. You want to pause and you want to say to Holy Spirit, What's going on? Yeah? Because you're an amazing bunch of people. Yeah? You really are. And so when we're looking at topics like this, it's, it's never to um, draw attention to the idea that you're not doing very well in the area of giving. You're actually saints, and the saints are those who are prone to do what's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Jesus said when he talks about the parable of the sower... He just said that it's possible for things to spring up in the heart that we're not aware about and they can just creep up on us without us knowing. So it says in um, Mark chapter 4, he just says, But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things can come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Um, When it says desire for other things, it's important to know that it doesn't mean you can't enjoy life. It just means, like when we were talking about contentment, desire for other things is when you look to money or riches or things to fill your Swiss cheese soul and make you content. That's what Jesus is talking about there. Um, he's not saying that the, the believer should be so fixed on the Lord and have no enjoyment of life whatsoever. He's saying, just don't look for life and money and wealth and riches to fill your soul because it will do a terrible job mm-hmm. and leave you miserable. And so a topic like this is like a spiritual MOT that just allows God to come in and say, and we dialogue with God, and we say, Holy Spirit, I heard about this, 
Actually, my heart's bias and desire is generosity, because I'm a saint, I love you, and I love your kingdom. But I just noticed that when the subject of money came up, I got a bit agitated, and it unsettled me a little bit. Holy Spirit, what's going on in my heart? Has anything grown up in my heart that's unhealthy in my relationship with money? Is anything growing up in my heart that wants to choke my experience of you out? Because I really, really don't want that. And so we can ask him, um, am I reluctant because of, there's a symptom of a fear of there not being enough? Um, am I nervous that you won't protect and provide me and be a good father to me? Um, Holy Spirit, do I feel more that I have to provide and protect myself rather than look to you to provide and protect? Holy Spirit, what's the truth? Mm. And it's not like you're going inwards and you're beating yourself up and saying, bad believer, I should be <laughs> hilarious and joyful. You're saying, actually, my bias is I want to be hilarious <laughs> and joyful because I'm a new creation, I've been born again. That's my natural disposition. I want in on this. Yeah? But for some reason... I'm just feeling a little bit um, like someone says, don't coach a cat the wrong way because they don't like it. <laughs> Have you ever done that? You know, try and stroke a cat against its fur, it gets irritated and turns around. So you stroke it the right way. And sometimes we can hear a topic like this and we can feel like we're being stroked the wrong way and it irritates us. <laughs> and and uh, we're just asking the Holy Spirit, do I need to turn around? <laughs> <laughs> Because Jesus says in, in Matthew 6.24 that you, you can't love um, God and love money at the same time. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. And the reason you can't serve them both is um, if, money takes the, if money becomes the source of your security for identity, protection and provision that's a bad place for it to be yeah. because you can suddenly think oh I know what money can do money can get me an education um, money can change my environment um, money, can, money can do all these things and Jesus is saying don't, don't let money take the role of the father in your heart because if you, don't, if you do that you can end up despising the father because you think he's going to touch your God and he's just saying just make sure that you're not serving two you can't serve two masters at the same time and sometimes an MOT like this can just check, am I serving money or am I serving God? Uh, are things serving me or am I serving things? And it's just a wonderful opportunity to let Holy Spirit do a work. In 1998, um, in the church that Rochelle and I were part of, the, the church was going through a bit of a financial problem and they were struggling to, um, at that time, pay for the staff. And the leaders stood up and said, we actually need to take up an offering to, um, to help meet the needs so we don't have to make people redundant and that kind of thing. And Rosh and I said to one another, actually we were a bit provoked by it actually. It, it, prov it provoked something in us like poor management. <laughs> provoked a kind of judgmental attitude like why are we in this situation? This is such a boring thing to give an offering just so we can stay still. 
yeah, I want to give money into buildings and vision, but it's a bit boring to give into the fact we're just not ends are not meeting. And we were chatting on the phone, and I still remember the day, I remember the place, I remember the time, it was before I was just about to teach, and we said, what do you think about the offering? And we both said, well, it's not really, really very enthusiastic, but we're, this is our family, we're going to do, and there's a kind of reluctance about it, you know, when you're, and then we said, do you know what, we're doubling that amount because our hearts are not right. Something's springing up. Bit of judgmentalism, maybe in a little resentment. And do you know what? We decided I'm doubling, we're doubling what we had decided to do, and instantly the joy came back. Our hearts were fully aligned with we've given ourselves to God and we were giving ourselves to the leaders. We were we were back on fire again, wanting to serve in that environment. Because money had come in like a it had come in through judgmentalism, it'd come in through maybe Begrudging and stinginess, and it got around our heart, and it got broken in a moment through the decision to say we're doubling it, and, and that was a, that was a done deal, because there's a culture of our hearts that need to be protected, um, that we have to pay attention to what's growing, is is the seeds of God's word growing in this really good soil? So every believer has really, 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 really good soil, yeah. You've got a good heart. Yeah? You don't have a wicked heart. You have a good heart because you're born again. Okay? If you're a Christian this morning, you've got a good heart. You're born again. You're a saint. You're prone to do what's right. And so the word comes into our heart. But we have this responsibility to look at what we're sowing and look at what we're reaping and just to check the, our lived out behavior of our heart. What's growing up? What's springing up? Is it is it fruit? Is the word growing and bearing fruit, or is something growing and choking? And so, we we rest on the promise that we um, that Jesus is the good shepherd, and his sheep know his voice. Okay, so we don't have to go around. We didn't have to go for a whole conversation about oh, we've got a wrong attitude here, wrong attitude here. Jesus spoke to us in a moment. Realized our attitude was wrong. Repentance is I changed my mind, doubled the gift, dealt with weeds cut back, get on get on into this with joy. So the, the believer is not called to look inward in, in, in debilitating introspection, thinking, oh, do I have a bad heart about giving? But it's just saying to Jesus, I know if you want to speak about anything, you'll speak about the garden of my heart. You'll speak about what's growing, what's springing up. You'll talk to me about what we're cultivating together. Because you're really good at that, and you're really good at speaking and being heard. So it's, that's a great thing too. And finally, giving is not the ultimate destination. So the, to be a believer and to be a follower of Jesus is not about a self-improvement program. To be a follower of Jesus is not about being in a self-improvement program where you work on certain things to improve yourself. It's actually a God-discovery program. That's what it is. We get to know the Father. We get to know Jesus. We get to know Holy Spirit. We get to discover more of God. Hmm. We get to discover who is this amazing God who's taken up residency in my heart. He's infinite. He's eternal. I get to know him. 
and I get to trust him. And so in this, in this passage then, in 2 Corinthians, it says, remember this in chapter 9 and verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So we've got this wonderful God in our hearts who says, actually, I really, really want to reward you on the topic of giving. So you're going to meet needs and you're going to make things happen. It's a spiritual MOT. But I really, really want to be super generous towards you. And I want to encourage you into a lifestyle of faith. And so how do we know that the Father um, doesn't give generously to those who sow generously? How do we know and discover that? We take a step of faith. That's how we discover who he is on the subject of money. It's like every other subject. How do we know that Jesus can heal people through us? We take a step of faith and command sicknesses to go through us. Everything we grow in and develop and mature in, we start as babies and we grow up to be adults in and we take baby steps and we learn. We, we take a step and then we discover who the Father is. It's in saying, wow, I'd really like to know you as my provider and my protector. Now, I'm not buying that, but I want to experience it. Because I know that's who you are already. That's who you are. You are my provider. You are my protector. But I want to experience who you are. Because faith doesn't make something a reality. It is already a reality. He doesn't become a provider and a, and a protector in the moment of sowing generously. He is that. But we get to experience it and encounter it in the moment we take a step of faith before the thing manifests. So in giving, we, we have these soldiers and we think, I'm giving according to what I have and not what I don't have. I'm giving will- willingly. It's between me and God. It's a free will thing. No one's commanding me. I want to give because I want to, be a, I want to be a partner in this vision. But also I want to see what you'll do. Mm. I want to know you. I want to experience you. I don't want to look on and just see other people tell their stories. I want a story and I want to be involved. So how do we know that God will enrich our life in every way, make grace abound, measure back according to the measure we use until we step out? And there's a story, it's a made-up story, it's like a, I guess it's like a fairy tale, really. There was a, a man, um, man begging in, there was a man begging in the street. I might need to come back to the story, because I realise I've started a story that I don't even remember. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh. If I come back to it... I want to know the story. <laughs> I thought, you know, I can bail out early, or I can bail out later. <laughs> and, I don't know where we're, and I don't know where we're going if I don't bail out early, so... I just really felt God remind me of something that happened many years ago. I worked in a Christian garage. One of my best friends, he was worshipping a church near Crystal Palace and one of the ministers there was vesting in this very large house in Crystal Palace and we can turn it into several flats and one of his best friends said I really felt God said to me I've been saving many many years for deposit for a house but I really felt God said to me give the minister the money so he gave him this very large sum of money 
and only to spend the next four or five years started saving again. And God said to him, I want you to give him more money. And so he's saying, God, that's too large deposit I've been saving for you want me to give it to the minister? So he gave the money to the minister. And at the end of the project, the minister said, felt God told me to bless you. And he gave him one of the one of the flats, the departments that he'd made into a flat. Now, he didn't know what was going to happen, but what he'd done, he felt God's calling of his heart and said, do you know what, I've spent years saving this, but do you know what? He'd done it out of obedience. God gave him a flat in return. Mm. And he never needed a mortgage. <laughs> so I hope that blesses you. And I heard it, and I, saw, and I believe Mark, and Mark's a really good Christian, and I just thought, well, and it encouraged me even then, mm. when I had little. So That's yeah. great, well thanks, yeah. yeah, very good one. I think I might remember the story, <laughs> 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 So there's a guy in the street eating rice, and, a, <laughs> and this, 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 this other man was dressed as a beggar, came in and said, oh, I'm so starving, will you give me a spoon of rice? And the guy sort of stingily said, yeah, here's... Here's a little spoon of rice. And then the, the beggar ate it. And then the beggar revealed that actually he was a prince and said, for every grain of rice, I'm going to give you gold. And the, and the guy on the street thought, I wish I had a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> because exactly your story didn't know. He didn't know what God would do. But that's the mystery. You know, it's like we say, it's not a slot machine of numbers. We, when we got married, the only thing we knew was that God was going to call us to the nations. And so... We knew that we were going to go to nations because we wanted to be missionaries. That's the only thing we really knew that God had called us to. So for eight years, we saved. And we saved pretty much a huge proportion of what we had, preparing for when God would say, go to the nations. And then eight years later, God said, go to Denmark. And so we'd we'd managed to get a good pot together. I think we've we've got some redundancy, but we managed to save £30,000, which was... Um, but we went there with no job, no house, nothing. And, but we had this pot. And we, we, we managed to get a house and we were pretty much supplementing our income really every month with this pot. And after two years, we, had, um, we, we knew we were coming back to the UK to lead a church in the UK. And, and actually the money ran out the day we left on um, February the 14th, 19, 2006. Not just so poof, it just that was the end of that resource. Amazingly, the house that we bought, not knowing it, was quite a wreck actually. We had bought a house in what suddenly became the prime location in Copenhagen. So a house literally doubled in two years. Like this guy in Dave's story, like the guy at the gold, you didn't know what was going to happen, you didn't know what God was going to do, apart from the fact he gave us back the 30,000 times at least five. So... So you don't know what he'll do, but you know he'll do something because he's made a promise. But we got in on the adventure, not because we were the most... We just heard nations, and we did the most practical thing we could do was prepare and save. And we had all our own doubts and anxieties and worries, but God loves the mechanism of reaping and sowing. A couple of years, I guess, no, long, a few years ago, we went to a conference and this man inspired us on the topic of giving. He had so many stories about what God had done. And we looked at one another and said, I want in on those stories. And so we doubled immediately what we were giving a month. Just doubled it. 
We then had the worst financial two to three years we had had since we were married. Really, really bad. And we looked at one another each month thinking, this is ridiculous. Did God say? Didn't he say? We're not having the same adventures that this guy is having. But we... <laughs> After two and a bit years, in the most... You know, like, in, like a rain cloud, it was like a tiny little thing broken our finances. It was minuscule compared to what we were giving. But it got our attention and thought, this is the first thing that had happened in nearly two and a half years. Three weeks later, it happened again, a small amount. Then, seven weeks, eight weeks later, we got given a car. And then, three months later, we got another large gift. So that that two and a half years of giving was then given back double. But it was agony in the process. What I'm saying to you in all these stories is, can you, can you see the link between a relationship with God and what God's asking you to do? I'm not saying to you anything what to do. Because you're his sheep, you know his voice, you chat with him, Holy Spirit and you will work it out. There were things for us that we just knew. We're saving because we're going to the nations. We've got a word from God. We're, give, we're doubling our giving. We've got a word from God. We're, we're, we're changing our offering because we've got a word from God about our hearts. We're giving our wedding money because we want in on this. We've got a word from God. They're not rules. And so sometimes there's a gap between the decision and the reaping and sowing, sometimes there's no gap at all. Amen. We even have a story where we, had, we were chatting in the kitchen. That's how often we work out our giving. We chat, we talk. What's God saying to you? What's God saying to me? Wow, it's the same. Or if, if one of us is, is, is feeling more generous, we want to go with the one who's feeling more generous and got the more faith. Never, we never bring it down to the lowest common denominator. <laughs> Always want to be lifted up by faith. And we, we chat in the kitchen about what should we do. And we both had exactly the same number. And then before even the opportunity to put the money in the offering, somebody gave us a gift of the exact number that we had decided to give her in the kitchen. Thinking, God, we haven't even given it yet. <laughs> but it's like he knows, he knows, and I know you. I know that's what you've decided. I know you're going to do it. So I'll give it to you before you've given it. So, sometimes there's a gap, sometimes it's very fast. And so these are the things to encourage us. I get to participate. I, I get an opportunity to cultivate my heart so loads of fruit can grow. I get to make sure that my joy levels are not being choked out by anything. Because yeah. the joy of the Lord is your strength, and a joyful heart does good like medicine. And I'm giving, not because I'm looking for a return... But I know I'll get one. So the motivation is I'm giving for your kingdom and I'm giving for your advancement and I'm giving these little soldiers to go and battle and do some jobs. But I just know from 21 years of history that you're going to enrich me financially, emotionally, relationally, in every way. Sometimes it can be finances, sometimes it can be anything. But I do believe, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. That there is a link between the two. Yeah. And so our motivation isn't to give to get. We're always after him. And we're always after a relationship with him. Because the prize is to know him. It's always the prize. It's always the prize. So let me pray for us. Yeah. So Lord Jesus.
We thank you so, so much that you are so generous. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. like it says in this section, that you were rich, and then for our sake you yeah. became poor, so that we could be made rich, so that we could be lifted up. That the culture of heaven is hmm. radical generosity, and the culture of heaven is beautiful freedom, and the culture of heaven is um, being surprised, and being um, enabled um, to give hilariously and joyfully. So thank you for this bunch of people here. Thank you for our stories as a church. Thank you for the hearts of the people here that we want to be in on it, God. And uh, we want to be in on all that you want to do. And we just thank you for freedom and for free will. And we thank you for what grace will do. Can we stand and just do this declaration?